0: What's going on, football fans? This is the XFL Game Day Podcast, presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting here. We've got a whole lot to talk about, folks. The brand new XFL, and we've got our normal cast of characters, plus a little, uh, a new new addition. Scott Churchin here joining us. Myself, David Hasseg, the Czar of the Playbook, Emery Hunt, Troy Anthony, and Alex Marinoni, all with you here. We're going to talk all about the XFL, uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz, and, um, Already our first coaching firing, so it's just like the NFL all over again. This is perfect. Uh, We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk some way too early expansion talk for the XFL, as well as what we liked and didn't like from the broadcast. We know the product on the field was pretty good, but with the broadcast up to par, we'll talk about that and what options there are now for the college game with the XFL not really having too many rules laid out in terms of who can play, who can get drafted, who can come into the league. So we'll talk about that along with Week 2. But let's get right into it guys and let's talk about week one. We'll start with the first game on the schedule. DC Defenders taking on the Seattle Dragons. Uh, this was DC on paper. Again, nobody has seen these teams before. Nobody knows how they're going to play. We don't We can't look back on the last five years. But DC on paper was the one team that people said, okay, this might be the team that goes and runs over everybody. And boy did they? Cardell Jones puts on a, puts on a show. D.C. gets a couple of defensive touchdowns, and they win 31-19. to 19. Emery, what did you see? I mean, obviously, we we know what Cardell Jones brings to the table. He just showed it at the professional level.
1: Yeah, and I was more impressed with the defensive performance. We talked about their offense ran away with it, but they scored two defensive touchdowns, and they picked off Brandon Silvers twice. So you look at the fact that this team defensively came ready to play week one. You don't know what the other team is going to do. You, play, you practice against them in the scrimmage down there at training camp in Houston. But it's very impressed with the defense. Cardell Jones did Cardell Jones things. Find me a, a game of him as a starting quarterback that he has lost. You won't find any. He's 12-0 and as a starter dating back to Ohio State.
0: Exactly. And, and, and the thing with Seattle is that they didn't exactly play poorly. Silvers had a decent game. He threw for three touchdowns. Uh, Prol was excellent in, uh, in the receiving side of the ball. He had five catches for 88 yards. But Seattle just turned the ball over, and that was the difference in this one.
2: Yeah, no, I agree, and I actually thought this was one of the better games of the week, and it was. I was glad it was the first game. This really came down to the towards the end there. Uh, Silver's throws the pick six, or else this was a one-score game mo- most of the way. Um, and I actually really liked the way Silver's played. He started off, you could see uh, it was just whether it was getting his getting used to the game, or he was just getting his feet wet a little bit. Um, he had a couple under throws to start, but then he got rolling, finding Prohel, who probably had one of the better days for a receiver for the week. Um, for the first score, and then he seemed to get rolling, and towards the end, that DC defenders' defense really stepped up and uh, and made the play to uh, to pull away.
0: And we saw Masakwai, the uh, the former NFL player, he had a really good day uh, for DC. He had a sack, he had a couple tackles for loss. Uh, really was a strong defensive player. This D- DC team. They lived up to their nickname in this one.
3: Yeah, most definitely I have to kind of second what Alex said there. Um Pro, I really liked him coming uh, watching this game. It was the first game of the week and he arguably to me was one of the best receivers of the weekend. But this team DC team definitely does look complete on all sides of the ball. Cardell balled out that offense really seemed to be clicking. Got the special teams touchdown with the block Uh, with a blocked punt this team might be one to reckon with and one thing that i i saw maybe it was because it was the first game of the of the weekend but their reverses on almost every reverse (laughs) i'm looking ridiculous i'm looking for that double pass still i'm still looking for that (laughs) double pass and i thought it was i thought it was gonna be when uh cardell threw the touchdown but it was a handoff not that little shuffle forward like we're used to seeing in the nfl yeah scott i wanted to talk to you about this because dc seemed to be the one team that really kind of opened
0: the playbook up it was kind of conservative from a lot of the teams despite the new rules, but D.C. kind of kind of flew around a little bit on the field and really made it uh, wide open.
4: Agreed. I think, honestly, it was a really good effort, uh, I think, where they are right now. When you look at D.C. and you look in general, in general you know, I mean, what, do you, what have you got right now? You've got the Redskins over there? <laughs> yeah, I know. you got the Redskins, now you got the Defenders. There's a little, I think there's, for the first time over there, there's hope.
1: There's excitement
4: yeah. over there, and I think that's something that they, they really have to get behind. You know, I personally, well, you talk about, you know, the Redskins another time, but I think it's a good effort, you know, a 12-point win. It's a good starting point. Exactly. And it's a good launching point for the team, for the season, and, like, well, you talk, we're going to talk about it later, too, with the XFL as a whole, too.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you talked about, about a good crowd there, too, in D.C. It looks like they've really embraced it. A really good crowd at Audi Field, which is the, the home of D.C. United and MLS, uh, but, Overall, a really good start for D.C., and hey, you wanted to add something in there, Alex? Well, I was
2: just going to add to Scott's point there. I don't feel bad for the D.C. with their bad football team because they got the Capitals who just came off of Stanley Cup, and they Fair. got the Nationals <laughs> who came off World Series, so I don't feel too bad about yeah. them. But what's one thing that is promising, and uh, Emery touched it earlier, was Cardell Jones. And honestly, if you're a football fan in D.C., you've got two quarterbacks you can really look forward to with a lot of promise. And honestly, what I saw with Cardell Jones was a lot of what we saw at Ohio State, but I was very impressed with his mobility for his size. And the fact he was able to get out of the pocket at times, uh, make off schedule throws and pick up the first down with his legs was not a trait that we were used to seeing on House State, because the team was so loaded between Zeke and everybody else that he he did more than game manage, but he was pretty much just a pocket quarterback and he was making the throws. He did everything today or that day.
0: Exactly. Let's move on to the second game on Saturday. And everybody was talking about Cardell Jones after that first game. Explosive, exciting. Wow, this guy's gonna be the you know, the player of the week for sure. And then P.J. Walker came along and pretty much said, hold my beer, and came out and lit up the L.A. Wildcat defense. Houston wins 37-17. to P.J. Walker goes 23-39 uh, of 39 for four touchdowns, 272 yards. Really spread the ball around well, too. He had a lot of targets that he really went to, and honestly, L.A., again, did not look bad. They had the first 100-yard receiver in the league's history
1: in Spruce, uh, in Spruce but... This was all the PJ Walker show. Yeah, PJ Walker is tailor made for June Jones's offense. If you go back to when June Jones coached in the uh, Shrine Game, I want to say maybe th- four years ago, three or four years ago, he we we interviewed him after practice, and he was a real good interview. And he brought up, even though we were fans of his practice the uh, the entire week, and we didn't bring him up in a, in the in the interview, he brought him up. On his own unprovoked talked about Vernon Adams who's now re-signed to be the Montreal Alouettes franchise quarterback he spoke up about Ben he's having a great week he's the best player out here he's a tremendous talent then he goes in the game and kills the East West Shrine game uh, that year you look at him and PJ Walker same skill set same stature approximately Walker may be a, a couple of inches taller but you look at how June Jones operates his offense. He wants to run that up-tempo, fast-break offense. You need a point guard at quarterback. P.J. Walker is the best point guard at the position in this league because you look at what he does from a mobility standpoint. From an efficiency standpoint, he targeted Cam Phillips Phillips nine times. So those who already have a chemistry, this is a team that's going to be exciting. I worry about their run game. But when you have a guy like Walker who can also be an asset to the run game, it kind of helps overcompensate. But this offense, we saw them score 37 points. I think they're going to be the top offense in the league because of June Jones and how uh, P.J. Walker operates the position.
0: It was really impressive there, and I, I want to talk about the defenses too. And, Scott, I want to go to you first with this. Five sacks on the day for Houston. Again, you know they blew it up on the, on the scoreboard. They really th- had a really good passing offense, but the defense was all over the field for them. They really didn't allow L.A. to do anything Absolutely. in terms of the passing game.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and they were in the end uh, cost Pepper Johnson his job.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we again. If you want to listen to that, we are we do have the XFL game day show on the Game Plus Network, where we will talk about the firing. There, we already have our first coaching change. But yeah, uh, amazingly, there. Yeah, go, going over to Troy and Alex. I mean, what were your impressions from this game? Does you know what uh, what positives can LA can take out of this game? Do you think? Obviously, they you know
3: Spruce had a really nice game, but really didn't get much help. Yeah, I mean, can for for LA he. 21 of 42, 14 had the one pick. Uh, did look for improvement from him, but Hood, 12 carries for 43 yards. He he looked promising in that one, but no yeah. running back truly from the weekend really jumped off the page this weekend. I think offensively wise was more all about the quarterbacks and yeah. P J Walker. P.J. Walker, like you said earlier, you thought after the first game, oh, wow, Cardell Jones. And then I remember one play, I believe it was early in the second quarter, where Walker's in the pocket, in the pocket. He has to duck down under a defender. He's running to the left sideline. You think that he's about to break, break it away, maybe like an inch away from the line of the scrimmage. And then he finds Sammy Coates. Yeah. That, that play is what really stands out in my mind, and that's what made me go, whoa, where
4: there's did this a, guy come from? There's been a lot of potential with him for years. I mean, yeah. if you go back to college – I mean, that was a terrible, terrible team that he was playing with. You know, <laughs> initially, <you> know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, what, was it 10,000 yards, I think? Uh, something like I mean, he set a lot of records over there. Yeah. So this is, honestly, when it comes right down to it, it shouldn't be that surprising.
2: And honestly, for the L.A. Wildcats, I didn't think they actually played too poorly on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you got to think, Charles is, it looked like, at times, he got settled in and he looked like a, a viable quarterback. And he started to get the offense to move. Uh, He targeted Nelson Spruce 15 times No one else more than 7 And Jordan Smallwood Everyone else um, It it looked like maybe it was just uncomfortability But how much uh, offseason and camp did he have as the number one? Josh Johnson is looked at as the number Mm -hmm. one on this team And they want him back to be the number one According to the reports So how much time did Knopf really get with this team? And it looked like early on It was a feeling out process Sort of like how Silvers was uh, with Seattle Um, And then all of a sudden he started to pick it up And he started to move the ball They had a total offense um, over almost 400 yards of total offense, so they were they were moving the ball. It was just being able to finish the drives, and uh, Kanoff was almost there with it. So it's interesting to see what they'll do when Josh Johnson comes back. If there's yep. going to be a competition, or if they're going to let Kanoff uh, continue to carry this. And it
0: was interesting too because uh, Kanoff obviously was originally with the New York Guardians roster. He then gets traded. We know what he can do, Henry, from seeing him play at Princeton, where he was a phenomenal player in the Ivy League. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, as you said, with Josh Johnson coming back. Um, but overall, as you said, like offensively, not terrible defensively, though, a lot
1: of holes, a lot of holes and they couldn't stop a nosebleed to put it lightly. (laughs) The fact that their secondary just kept getting lit up and, you know, PJ Walker was extending drives and it was basically all the passing game. It wasn't the fact that Houston was running the football on them. They couldn't run the ball. It's that PJ Walker was just extending plays, finding ways to find guys downfield. They couldn't get pressure on him because he was escaping pressure. And like Alex said, I don't think Kanoff played terrible. I didn't like the fact that they benched him in the middle of a game and went to a guy that was completely ineffective, probably wasn't even prepared to play. And you go to him, you lose two series, and now you put Kanoff back out there, and it's just an issue. So I I just think that it's just the uh, sad state of affairs. That that game was, I thought, close at one point. Yeah. And they were having success moving to football, but – That's the difference between having continuity on offense or having an offensive rhythm just opposed to not having a plan.
0: And since we're getting closer to the NFL draft season, where where did you have uh, P.J. Walker ranked in your draft class? Well, in
1: that draft class that also had Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Mm -hmm. Kaiser, Deshaun Watson. Uh, In the order I had it was Watson 1, Mahomes 2, Kaiser 3, P.J. Walker 4. Interesting. It's almost like you should pay attention. So the Bears also so could have yeah, had P.J. Number, Walker. Yeah, P.J. Walker. <laughs> yeah,
2: who was the number one pick in that draft, though, as far as the quarterback position? Oh, it Trubisky, who was, oh, like, number, hmm. like, 15 or <laughs> I, I, 11, I think you had right? him 11 on your head
1: list.
0: It's almost like you should pay attention to football game plans draft rankings, just saying. Anyway, Which gonna, will be out
1: soon. soon. <laughs> we're working through the draft <laughs> process now. We are just finished grading the receivers. Um, we'll post the grades. Once we're done with the offensive side of the ball, we'll post those offensive grades and then we'll move on to defense. But, yeah, they're coming.
0: This man has not slept in approximately three weeks. Let's move on to the Sunday action now. Let's go to MetLife Stadium. The New York Guardians taking on the Tampa Bay Vipers. We were at this game. Uh, We were able to get access into the press box at MetLife. Really interesting. First of all, really good crowd, which you don't often see now with the Jets and Giants have been playing. You had 17,000 at this ballgame. But another one where... The stats really didn't tell the story of this game because on paper Tampa Bay had a pretty good game, 400 yards of offense. They had three points New York Guardians shut them down they went 23 to three. and it's not because really Matt McGloin put you know blew anybody away, but this New York Guardians defense just buckled down right when they needed to.
4: Yeah, but the same thing at the same time if you noticed towards the end of that game, why was Tampa Bay running the ball so much? I mean and this is a question obviously anyone who saw that game. You know, I don't, you know, you guys have the same question I do. But we were talking about this in the booth. It's like, why? You know, you're down by, you know, you're down 17 at the half, which means you're going to have to obviously open things up. Yeah. You know, okay, I can understand the point if you're going to set the ground game to set up the pass, fine. But it was just set up the ground game, set up the ground game. set up. You know, and they're burning clock left and right here. You know, three points.
1: I think think the reason why you saw them run is because we watched them throw. (laughs) And then, you know, <laughs> no. I, I, I get it,
4: but at the same time, I mean, you look. Th- at – Go
1: ahead. I know. I say. I think your better
2: question is: is why weren't they running the ball since they were running it pretty effectively? Why weren't they running the ball in the red zone? With Quinton Flowers. The, why, why were they? Whether it was with Quinton Flowers or Devion Smith who was doing it, and if you're gonna do the platooning route, why wasn't Flowers the guy running it in the red zone? It
1: just wasn't falling into the team. Which, strength. which made it all the more bizarre because you think Mark Tressman. Yeah. CFL great cup champion yep. understands the value of the red zone quarterback, mm-hmm. the short yardage quarterback. They have that in the CFL. So you can put your quarterback in, in the red zone and, and not lose, you know, uh, your starter can't come back in the game. So why wasn't that the approach here when it's more apt to happen uh, in the, in the XFL? I thought that was a, Misguided use of personnel because he's done yeah. it in the CFL.
0: I think both teams, they kind of look disjointed because you mentioned it with Tressman. It didn't really seem like they had a plan. They put flowers out to start the second half, and we thought, okay, Murray was ineffective in the first half. We saw that. They're making a quarterback change. Two series later, here comes Murray again, and we're thinking. <laughs> Not even two series. It's a couple like later, plays later. Because yeah. the
1: first two players were successful. Then it's like, you know what? We're having way too much success. Let's put Murray back in the game. And he
0: fumbled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at the same time, though, the Guardians had, had a similar deal where they had Tim Cook as the number one guy on the depth chart that was provided for us. Darius Victor gets a majority of the carries and makes a few catches out of the backfield. McGloin is successful hitting the tight end on the first few drives, first quarter and a half, and then barely targets Jake Powell, who had four catches in the game. The rest of the day And I believe three of them Were on the first drive Yeah Mm -hmm. Exactly So it was really Really surprising But we did see From New
3: York though They do have some Gunners out there The question is Can McCloy find them yeah that is a good question mckay balled out three catches for 58 yards he toasted the vipers defenders quite a few times and horn had a nice had a couple of nice grabs as well he also had a couple of really bad drops drops. drops. but one of my biggest issues in this game is with the vipers and the way that they used flowers like you said murray started the whole first half was really inconsistent flowers comes out gets the start and he's pretty much only used as a decor but only used as a decoy, only allowed to pass the ball twice. He finished one of two for 37 yards, and that one completion was a dime on their last drive of the game. Why wouldn't you allow him to pass the ball a little bit more in the second half to see what you actually have? Maybe you get that momentum going instead of just using him as an option-type quarterback.
0: Yeah, I I will say this. The, The Guardians' defense did a good job when they needed to. They had, again, five sacks here. They had two interceptions. They had a ton of pass breakups in this game. Uh, Rotimi, Heaney were really good at the linebacker position. Uh, Sutton had a really good day. Uh, Walker had a good day. They had a defensive touchdown as well. Uh, really, really interesting from the Guardians. But now, again, they're going to have a test in the second week. So is this a question of more the Guardians being really good at defense or the Vipers really, really, being really bad at the end of offense? I think it could be a
4: mix of both.
2: Yeah, I think what I saw in this game from the Vipers' offensive standpoint was a very good great performance from their offensive line i thought when the Mm -hmm. when the guardians were trying to go straight up with with their d-line three rushing three or four they gave murray a pocket and either murray at times sat in that pocket and threw some dimes and you remembered the georgia murray and then there was a lot of times where he must have thought there was pressure coming or he just got happy feet and he escaped the pocket himself throwing off his back foot and was making some questionable decisions but for the most part i thought the viper's offensive line uh, handled the uh, handle the pressure well, yep. and when the Guardians did blitz, they did pick it up at times, and I thought it was a little bit of holding onto the ball too much uh, from Murray.
0: And they did a good job in the running game as well. I think the offensive line for Tampa Bay was is actually very very good. Mm-hmm. Smith had seventy nine yards and sixteen carries. Flowers had really good success when he he was in there. Patrick had a good couple carries. Their offensive line is not bad, but for whatever reason, Murray, I don't think, trusts them.
3: No, 100% agree. To second that point, there was a number of times that we were sitting up there in the box seeing that Murray had time, and he got happy feet and escaped the pocket, and we're sitting there like, he's wide open. He's wide open for a touchdown, and he doesn't even see him.
1: Yeah. Did did any of you guys watch him throw? Like, because... That's why he was gunshot. Mm-hmm. I know the play you guys are talking about too, because that guy was wide open. You saw Tolliver, yeah, yeah. You saw wide the thought open. process in his head, like, I can't, I can't get it there. I can't reach it there. Mm-hmm. I think both guys had issues with their arm strength. We yeah. saw McGlone mm-hmm. had a wide open guy. He had, he had mm-hmm. four
0: more touchdowns
1: out there. But, but he yeah, it's going to be a lot worse than twenty three to three. Yeah, and the thing is, <laughs> when you watch this, you you you're watching Quentin Flowers move the ball down the field, and you're watching. The offense actually was moving the ball down the field. Pretty well. Wa- right. And so you're wondering, man, if it wasn't for the defensive touchdown and them not playing the right guy at QB, the Guardians perhaps would have been on the losing end of the score. So you look at the the Guardians offense and say, man, you guys had all of, the, all of these added possessions, and you only put the ball in the end zone twice offensively. So it's an mm-hmm. issue.
2: Yeah, and I was on the first couple of drives too. That whole second half, this was really – just a stout defensive uh, performance on both teams, but also a lot of the struggle from the quarterback position. We're not getting the ball to the open receivers.
4: Like you said, McGoin had all day, too.
0: Yeah, exactly. Two both hurries and no did. sacks. Yeah. So let's get into the final game, though, of this week one. And this was a weird one, because it was a defensive struggle, but it wasn't an unentertaining football game. St. Louis Battlehawks taking on the Dallas Renegades. With all the new rules that was put in place in the XFL, we expected a lot of the passing game, and that's a lot of what we saw in this opening week, especially on Saturday. It was a lot of pass first, rush second. The one team this week that didn't do that was the St. Louis Battlehawks, and they did it extremely effectively. They they came on strong in the second half. They win 15-9. to Tamu really was impressive. He was probably one of the better quarterbacks on the day. Alex, I know you had him... Pretty high in your quarterback rankings. What did you see that you really impressed you from him?
2: Well, you know, he was just a dual threat. He did it all. Um, you saw, and he's a young kid, and that's one thing. He right. was only 22 years old. Everyone else, you look at McGloin, these are veterans. Cardell Jones, even though he doesn't have a lot of time, they're still guys that went into the NFL. This guy's coming straight out, and. He looked very poised. In that first drive or two, it looked like they were being a little safe with him. And then they started letting let the ball fly. He hit Alonzo Russell on it, over the shoulder on his mm-hmm. third possession. That was just beautiful. It was the first time he really threw the ball down the field. And he saw him get more comfortable. 20 for 27, he was highly uh, accurate with the ball. And the 77 rushing yards, including that one big 37-yard rush um, to get his team into position, it just seemed like he could do it all. And there were times where they, he left some points on the field early on which is why it was only 15 points, but he really did a nice job uh, overall. And I thought, in my opinion, I thought between him, Cardell, and Philip Walker, those three were just above uh, the rest this week.
0: Yeah, another another team that um, in the preseason, looking at the roster, just purely on paper, was Dallas. It's one of these teams that like, okay, this is going to be a team that's going to be solid, going to be a team to mess with. Emery, do you think this is more of a disappointing performance, or was St. Louis just that good on the defense side of the ball?
1: Well, St. Louis was that good on that side of the ball. You talk about a guy in um, – pain their defensive lineman had what two sacks or five tfl something like that so
0: something ridiculous he was in the,
1: he was in the <laughs> backfield a lot and um you know you watch how how he plays and if you're able to get quick pressure you're able to affect the the run game and also the pass game and um he had he had i'm sorry he had a sack and uh a tfl and a quarterback hurry. so he was definitely a nuisance but i think defensively early start of the of the season defenses are usually ahead of the offense especially this in a unique situation where we hadn't really seen these offenses or defenses play. We didn't see a full preseason. So we didn't know what to expect. They played against each other uh, in this uh, training this you know league-wide training camp in Houston. So we don't know from media perspective, we don't know what to expect or what to expect or what, so we saw this for the first time, but I think it's just because the bullets were live, quarterbacks are actually getting hit. Defense was better on paper. I thought St. Louis has the best defense in the league. Yeah. Um. So, at, at all three levels, and I said this before. I said this in the preview. Anytime you have a Will Hill on your defense, your defense will make big plays. He yeah. finds the football. This guy yeah. is like Rasputin as far as opportunities. He is. <laughs> every, he is always around, and he is still making plays. He finds the football. So, defensively, they're strong at every level. They're versatile. Dexter McCoyle is a guy from. The CFL, but he played safety at Tulsa. He was like a six-five safety. Yeah. Gets to the CFL, they move him to outside linebacker, play that defensive halfback type of position, and now he's uh, in the league playing linebacker here for the Battlehawks. So they're excellent defensively. They're athletic. They're versatile. Their defense proved that against Dallas. You
4: know, I think like I'm just going to piggyback off that a little bit there. You know the defense giving up nine points also yeah but there was a fumble there was the, the end of the game interception in there there was a turnover on downs they did everything that they needed to do you know you keep dallas out of the end zone that way you know you had three players in there with eight or more tackles you had the interception i think you mentioned there you know so it was an up and down it was a solid effort like you said in all three areas the defense there um i think for st louis it's well deserved uh, i think we may have mentioned another point that they I think there's a lot to be found there. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. on both sides of the ball, I think 15-9, to nine, honestly, when it comes down to it, is not a pretty score. And I think going forward, as the team starts to gel a little bit more, I think you're going to see a higher offense on that. And I think you might even see the defense improve a little bit.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was representative of how you know how this game was played. Uh, St. Louis in particular, the way they rushed the ball, uh, certainly slowed this game down and made a little bit of chance for low scoring. Troy, you had something to add on that?
3: Yeah, what I was going to say was if, if you look, just look at Nelson's stats, 33 at 42, you're like, oh, my goodness, that completion percentage is ridiculous. But then you look at the 20, not only 209 yards mm-hmm. in the air. Yeah. So it was straight dink and dunks. You had the interception. What I think that um, Dallas could have done more of – if better of focusing on is the running game trying to control it trying to stop the pass rush stop the, uh, the the constant defenders in the backfield lance Dunbar, former cowboy running back he was serviceable in the nfl he only finished with uh 27 yards and he had a long of 20 yeah so, but I he
0: averaged mean, 5.4
3: yeah he had a long of 20 yeah but <laughs> what they have to they should have focused more on getting their running game in check instead of only running the ball 10 times 10 yeah. 12 times yeah, but I think they did
2: though, or at least what they were trying to do was having them throw the ball forty-two times. They're the air raid offense, so they're gonna they're gonna air raid, you know they're gonna throw the ball as often as they can. Yep. Um, usually it's a little bit more down the field, and I'm I'm sure if Landry Jones was healthy and he was the starting quarterback, we might have seen a little bit more uh, some shots on top uh, over the top. But I mean I'm looking at their uh, their receiving totals. You have two receive two running backs going for ten catches between Marquise Young and Lance Dunbar, so that was like their way of running the ball. And then you had Sean Price and Parham, both tight ends. Six catches, accumulating 70 yards. So it was only Flynn Nagel was the only outside receiver that saw any sort of passes come his way. So in a way, it was like that was their, the Renegade's way of running the ball was getting the ball out of Philip Nelson's hand and into the running backs in the open field trying to hope Lance Dunbar, Marquis Young could do something with it. But it was ultimately safe football because Landry Jones is the guy here and he's, he's the face of the league. And that, at least that's what they're pushing for. So They were a little hot. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, that was, that was just that was Landry Jones is the face of this league. So, I mean, the Renegades, he was the first quarterback to uh, go in on, in on the league. So, yeah. I mean, this is a guy that you're probably going to see. If you're seeing 42 pass attempts, pretty much from Landry Jones, picks or not, touchdowns or
4: not, you're going to see about three to
1: 400 yards.
4: Typically, yeah. Uh, St. Louis, though, did actually commit nine penalties for 78 yards.
1: If you're banking sure. on Landry Jones being a franchise <laughs> card, you might as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole different. I'm yeah. just you know, throw the whole league a whole...
0: away. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, first week in the XFL down, big crowds, really excite, a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz. But let's talk about the broadcast about this sort of thing, because obviously that was going to be a question. That's where ultimately the, the AF, one of the many ways that the AAF fell very, uh, very far short uh, in terms of you know promoting the league and getting it going. I mean, first of all, you're starting with you're on Fox and ABC with guys who are top quality announcers, top quality broadcasts. But the way that the broadcasts were done were interesting. You had sideline reports, you know, interviews with players in real time, uh, Yet, but the games were still treated with respect in a way. And then being able to go inside the replay room, which I absolutely loved, which is something that the NFL has fought against for years actively. You know why We don't want the fans understanding what's going on, only we should know <laughs> what's going on. Um, that's backwards. The fact that you were able to go into the replay room and actually see what was going on, I think was a big step in the right direction. That's something the NFL should adopt. Um, Emery, what what are your thoughts on how the, the broadcasts were? Obviously, you know, very professionally done for the most part. You know, they did a good job with them. Anything you think they should tweak or get rid of or improve or what?
1: Well, you got to give credit to the AAF for introducing that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that Sky Judge. True. Uh, true. They, they were pioneers in that regard. I agree with you that the NFL should adopt that right away. Um, but – I thought Fox did a better job of broadcasting the game than ESPN mm. or ABC. I'm sorry. Same thing, but. Uh, <laughs> Might <laughs> as well be. I thought ABC focused more on the ancillary things like the player interviews, the betting, um, the coaching interviews, the sideline stuff. They had Dan or Rossini going on both sidelines. I'm like, what yeah. the hell is Tom Luganville there for if, he's, <laughs> <laughs> if you got her doing all the interviews, you know? And. I just thought it was a little awkward for both Luganville and Rossini. So I I didn't too much care for the broadcast. But the second game, you know, Houston's game. On Fox. On Fox. I thought it was a cleaner look, you know, and it also looked more – it gave it a pro feel. It gave it more of a pro feel and less of a bowl game atmosphere, um, which was great because you want to legitimize the league. And I thought both games were excellent. Uh, I just thought the presentation was different. I liked Fox's presentation, and I thought they did an excellent job in in, in presenting that to the game. It wasn't, you know, and you have great people. Kurt Menefee is great in the booth. Joe Klatt is great in the booth. I'm a big fan of Brock Huard and how he just is able to articulate things, and they had him on the sideline and doing great sideline interviews, and it wasn't all in your face. So I would probably scale back on the player interviews. That's Mm -hmm. the only major issue I had with uh, the broadcast. Plus, we don't want to hear everything, um, it takes away from just the, the atmosphere of watching the game. You I thought it co- was a little yeah. bit too much of you, play yeah. calls. Because you don't know what the play calls mean. But you know, I know people like, oh, this is great info. Like, bro, you don't know what it means. You just like hearing words that you don't understand. I just <laughs> <laughs> they, they
0: did explain that a little bit, though, during the Fox broadcast. You could hear uh, Olsen, I believe, was talking about okay, this is what, you know, he just said this. This is what that means for this group. So they on Fox, they tried to explain a little bit of that. Well, they did it um, on
1: ABC, but they did it every play. I don't need to know yeah we, yeah, we don't
0: need Tony Romo they there yeah. telling us I mean, us let the play happening.
1: happen, then explain what happened after. It was like, yeah. you don't have to explain. It takes a little bit of the spontaneity away from watching the game.
0: Yeah. Scott, what, what were your thoughts on this?
4: I agree with a lot of that. Um, I thought, all things considered, I mean, I watched basically pretty much every game that the AAF had back then. Um, aside from being, honestly, in my opinion, very low-end football, I think the broadcast overall was better, also because of the fact that you have national broadcast here. Yes, you, know, you had you know ABC you had Fox you didn't have the NFL network not to basically hate on NFL network they didn't really have I think this experience there yeah. you know and the understanding of what the fans wanted you know I mean Fox and ABC have been doing this for decades here and I think that carries, that carries through a lot I think a lot of the fact that the people they we were listening to were people we recognized you know you mentioned menifee you know I mean he's you know basically been with you know Uh, fox nfl sunday for years
0: kevin burkhart burkhart
4: yeah you know all these guys that you're like okay i know that person you know i mean even greg olson you know i don't remember him necessarily correct me if i'm wrong i don't remember him doing color commentary but he's good at it i mean i think if he retires i think he has a career if he wants to go that way with it because of what he sees and i think that's as much of importance that's basically nearly as important i think to the experience of sports, not just what's on the field, but how it's conveyed, how it's explained, and how to keep the interest of the audience. Part of my problem is with some of the other sports that are out there is that a lot of the people that talk about it are just not entertaining. They're dull. You know, I mean, I'm going to, I mean, you know, how how clean can I go here?
0: Nothing personal here. Uh,
4: okay. I mean, I won't mention Joe Buck by name when it comes to baseball, but um, I mean, dear God, dude, I've had more fun listening to the Spanish broadcast. I don't understand a damn thing they were saying. But with football, it's there was, like I said, they were engaged. They, you felt like you were part of it a little bit, you know, because in our case also, we were I think, you you know, all the, the five of us were talking about Burkhardt, you know, and listening to what he had to say. And it I think it added to the experience of it. and I think that's what hurt the AAF a little bit there and added to what we have here. Now, again, that was week one. How is it going to happen with week two now that the novelty is worn off a little bit? You know, how how is the how are the fans going to take it?
3: Exactly. Troy, anything to piggyback off of that? or Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. When you have a fan tuning into something for the fir- first time ever, I mean, I remember the XFL from back in the day, but I can't compare that to this. This is completely different. Good. That was Jesse Ventura <laughs> calling the football, yeah. you know? <laughs> he was Jesse Ventura calling football, but now we do have all these experts that we're used to hearing uh, every weekend talking about football. Greg Olson, Pat McAfee. I think Olson actually uh, commenta- commentated on his bye week this past season yeah. uh, he he commented on on Fox during his bye week so that was pretty cool and now to see him uh as a color commentator for the XFL yeah. he's just setting up his career for post you know that's cool as far as a presentation i love the fact that the XFL is embracing gambling where it's taboo in all these other leagues but True. the XFL is is staring it right in the face and saying okay we accept you it's going to be done anyway this is the way that the world is going we're, we're in line. We're in line with this wholeheartedly. As far as the player interviews, got, uh, with Emery on that one, I'm here and there it's cool but when you see a kicker miss a field goal at the <laughs> end of the game and the first thing he sees when he gets to the sideline isn't his coach uh, saying it's okay or anything like that he has a mic in his face like we're talking about <laughs> professional athletes it's only a matter of time before a camera gets shoved into the cameraman's eyes saying get out my face or something of that nature little John Rocker situation oh, God. Or, or when you see uh, Jamar Summers gets the gets the uh, fumble recovery to the house and then he's getting ready to come back in the game and the reporter's trying to get an interview and he's like no i gotta go i gotta go and (laughs) he's like oh sorry we couldn't get the interview don't don't apologize to us apologize for him you may have just thrown him off the game when he Mm -hmm. has to go down and do kick coverage right now like these are professional athletes and i I, in that aspect i don't think that we're treating them as so i I think for the most part though
0: i think the the broadcast and the players were were treated with the respect they deserve i think in terms of the on-field interviews i think it may have crossed a bit over the line i think again if it's you know, once in a while, again, as everybody said, how Fox did it, where it wasn't yeah. constant. I think it was better, uh, but for the most part, I think the the broadcast was professional, and they actually did a decent job in that respect. Um, but I want to go back to the replay, though, Alex, and talk about that, and then you know whatever point else you want to make. This is something we've never seen before in American sports. You see it in in Europe. You see it with rugby, uh, where you have the communication between the referee and the video official is heard throughout the
2: broadcast. This is the first time we're seeing it in American sports. Personally, I loved it. Yeah, I I absolutely loved it. Um, And I think that's one thing that the NFL gets wrong. They're not listening to the people. I mean, you could solve so many problems with the NFL and the officiating if you just let them hear what's going going on in there because – I mean, what do we have? To, how many times? How many Saints games do we have to see get screwed over, and everybody thinks <laughs> it's one way into the other? I mean, now this is them explaining it. You could see their point. You see their angles. You see everything that they're seeing, and there's there's no question. I mean, you could still disagree, but you but there's no questioning. There's no yeah. the the conspiracy theorists coming out, going, you know, they, they can't have Peyton win or whatever they have said. But all yeah. these things. um, it, all things considered, it's. It, I thought it was really good. It just opens you up a little bit more, and it does. And it holds them accountable, which I agree with. And um, I agreed with most of the points here. I actually personally liked the on-field interviews. I just thought after the first game with ABC, they need. I, I thinking about watching that game. I was like, they need to get a clue. Why are you going up to Brandon Silver's <laughs> after a pick six? Like this dude just felt like he lost the game for his team on one bad play. Played well all game. One bad play ruined the whole game. You know. Anyone who's played a game knows, like that's the wrong time to go up to this guy. Misses a field goal, anything. This is their this is their livelihood. So go going up to players, uh, I I wish they would s- slow down a little bit, especially understand the situation. I don't I do like the coaches though. I like hearing their thought processes. What what made you think of doing that this drive? That kind of stuff after the drive. Don't go up to the head coach. I hate that, but go up to like the mm-hmm. offense coordinator when their defense is on the field, you know that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think with in terms of especially with the kickers, I mean they're not going getting interviewed anywhere, so it's like <laughs> it's a, they don't even know what a microphone is. But no, I, I think it, it's a term of, yeah, they have to understand the situation a little better uh, in terms of the sideline uh, reporting there. I, I love hearing the coaches mic'd up, although I'm I'm just waiting for the five second delay to be used because it's all, like I mean there was I think there was a play in the in the uh, St Louis game where. There was a a near uh, personal foul penalty and the guys coming over and all you hear the coach is saying I don't care I don't <laughs> care and that it's a good thing that's all we heard because they had him live at that moment in time, uh, but overall a good start I think for that as as well as in terms of the play and everything else. But now let's talk about I mean the way too early machine. I mean we've talked about this with drafts all the time. You know the twenty twenty draft happens the next day we'll have the twenty twenty one big board uh, from Mel Kuiper Let's talk about expansion and what, in terms of, in in not just the traditional sense, uh, although we'll start there, but in terms of how this league can grow and get a little bigger. And and Alex, we you and I were talking about this uh, before we came on the air here, Hmm. and talking about potential expansion in the XFL. It certainly seems, at least with the early crowds, that there is the opportunity here to go from this 18 format to maybe even 10, and possibly even 12.
2: Well, you gotta look at it. Uh, after, I mean, after the success it was on week one and the quality of play and every, the bar- everything that was done and the buzz around the XFL, um, you could tell a lot of people were skeptical, both fans and former players. I mean, right. take take. I mean, he's a little bit of a loose cannon, but think, take Johnny Manziel's mind, where he's like, "I'm not joining another league," even though he thinks he's better. I don't know where he gets his thought, but <laughs> the fact that he he says that I'm not joining another league that's gonna fold halfway through the season. Yeah. Now, after a successful week one. Um, you, we already know about the Kenny Robinson story. A kid from West Virginia who still had another year of eligibility in college deciding to go play professional football and get, collect a paycheck before he enters the NFL draft. Same thing with now S.J. Green, a standout legend wide receiver with uh, in the CFL, now with Toronto was with Toronto. His contract just uh, ran out. He just signed with the Seattle Dragons in a waiver wire pickup. Now you're starting to think that if this is a success, like you're saying, now you're going to start getting people in the college level that are like, why do I need to go play for free? Why do I need to go to the classroom when I could play more competitive, you know, or just as competitive maybe as like an SEC type of feel and go play professional football, get collect a paycheck, support my family, and then go uh, with the attempt to go into the NFL or see if or elsewhere after that. But this gives you the, another avenue. Um, and like with uh, S.J. Green, a guy who. Has made a career uh, out of the CFL, uh, a nice living out of there. His contract runs up. They're, the seasons don't intertwine. Why not collect a second paycheck?
0: I think that's a definite point. But talking about it in terms of expansion as well, getting to 10, t- I mean, we saw crowds that are right around the 17,000 mark pretty much league wide. Um, you know, obviously, MetLife looked a little bit more empty, but that's just because of the size of the stadium. But 17,000, 18,000 in D.C. We've heard from St. Louis that. Before they even kicked off their first game, they had 17,000 tickets sold. Now it's over 20. They still have another week to go. They don't get a first home game until week three. Other possibilities for some other mid-major markets, maybe not necessarily NFL markets, to
3: join the xfl in here i think there's some possibilities i mean there's there was major cities all over the country and with the su- success that xfl had week one it's only going to grow as the season goes and expansion is going to go based on how alex said all these new players come into the league i mean what made the usfl so so uh special the players foregoing the nfl and going to going to the usfl instead so if that continues to happen more success is going to come to the xfl but also it's going to go how vince mcmahon wants it to go because he's the sole proprietary owner of the xfl so is it going to be him solely going to these cities and and making the push to get teams there or is he going to open it up a little bit more and allow more involvement from from other sources other resources other people to to go through the process of this expansion because i i guarantee you after looking at the numbers that this that the league has done so far through week 1 there's a number of cities already thinking okay how can we get a team here
0: yeah um, it's going to be really interesting cuz Vince McMahon has pretty much committed to at least 3 years of being willing to take a loss and try to get this thing off the ground so this is not going to be an AAF situation unless something really collapses uh, where they're going to be you know
3: ending this in the middle of the first season, or it sounds like the first three seasons. And another thing I have to look at here is location, because it's going to be spring ball, right? So kicking off around February is March-ish. You can't play in an outdoor stadium in some areas of the country if if you do want a new team, you're gonna to have to have an indoor stadium available because I I couldn't see uh, a, a team in Green Bay, Wisconsin right now, or a team <laughs> like a team in the like North Midwest type where or snow Salt is gonna be City, all over like the Salt Lake City, like you had
1: the AAF in Salt yeah. Lake City. I want to say three of their home games with snow games. Yeah, and like,
3: yeah. you're not gonna build a state a new stadium for an XFL team. You have to have something something readily available, or yeah.
1: you got to go straight to some Bell cities. But you look at um, you talk expansion, and I already think because you touched on it where teams or cities probably are looking at, man, if this is, you know, popping like it was week one, and if it continues to have the sustained success over the course of the season, more cities will want in, more cities will try to buy in. Networks will see more cities involved. They will then give them those broadcasting rights that they want. Um, I look at three cities that, that would be ideal spots for XFL expansion. I would even go four um, just to give it another, just to round it out. To east to west east you look at i look at philadelphia Pro stadium you have uh, lincoln financial field right there you also have villanova stadium which is about 15 minutes from philadelphia uh yep. pretty good facilities right there easily
0: accessible by mass transit as well
1: exactly and it's a turf field um but you run the risk of what you talk about northeast uh you also look at columbus ohio you know you have a team in cleveland you have a team in cincinnati columbus is one that that is huge. A football mat city. It's a football mat city. They want Pro Ball. Columbus would be one. Um and third, you can even look at San Antonio for what they were able to do at the AAF level. They were always packed. The Alamo Dome is a dome. It's yep. you know great facilities. It has housed the New Orleans Saints. The Katrina year. They've had, you know, uh the the uh, gunslingers or whatever they were called um in the AAF, the commanders commanders or whatever. Um, that team did well. Attendance wise, that would be a spot. I would even probably toss out Louisville um, right in that Ohio Valley area. Louisville is another major mid major city. You know, I think there's opportunities for those, th- those four cities to, to get spots, but Philly would be one considering you have now the, the, you know, the rivalry between DC Philly and New York easy, accessible for fans to go to away games. I think, is if we continue to see success we saw in week one more cities will want to be involved in the xfl
0: and i I think another i mentioned you're talking about cities there charlotte is another one you have the the, obviously the carolina panthers in and around there you've got charlotte uh playing fbs balls they have a a sizable stadium but nothing too massive um I, i think the options are limitless i i i think you know, Scott, you obviously grew up with the old XFL.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm the old guy of the group. So <laughs> you got is the old down. guy here. Yeah. Y-
0: is, is this league already in a better place than the XFL ever was? Yes. The old XFL?
4: Absolutely. Basically, uh, it's, it's just to date myself here, I was 25 when the first uh, XFL showed up. And at that time, it tried to out-be the NFL. It tried to be this thing where it was a combination of um, res- pro wrestling and also football. This was an era when everything was extreme. I was telling you guys before, this was an era in the late 90s and early 2000s. Everything was extreme. Everything was, you know, tough. You know, I mean, for God's sakes, we had extreme jello pudding back then. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah we, you know, this is so the XFL was trying to be extreme, and it paid the price because it was honestly just extremely bad. Now, I think 19 years later, Vince McMahon has realized from the mistakes, saw what the AAF was, and has done enough that's just a little bit different. You know, like, you know, the multiple forward passes, like the nine-point touchdown, which I'm really curious to see how they're going to do that. Um, I'd like to see a lot more plays with that. But there's enough in there to uh, develop curiosity. But by the same token, it's still enough of a familiar product that people know what it is. Now, the only thing I was thinking about, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, looking at it from an expansion standpoint, I was thinking Ohio. You know, I think it's somewhere in the Midwest, I don't know, maybe Nashville even you know as a possibility, eastern tennessee uh, yep. that at least be far enough away from st louis i would think and then i was wondering how you guys thought about san diego because it is 3 3 hours away from la and yep. they themselves felt betrayed after losing the uh the chargers you know so a lot of yeah. those, you know Could so be I, interesting san diego that, yeah. will work too Yeah, because you know? yeah, <laughs> obviously it's a warm mark actually t- but, uh, so would uh i'll cover uh, those games personally
0: that's fun I'll, yeah, go, I'll go, I'll go, go to San Diego and cover all San of this. games. San Diego's
4: freaking awesome in the winter. <laughs> so. um, but I was thinking about it as, you know, because we were talking about before the show about the possibility of expansion and 10 teams. Those were kind of the locations I was considering. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, this, one, this time around, to come back to the point, is better than the original XFL. To give a comparison, the original XFL drew 9.5 million people on that Saturday night. The championship drew 2.1 million. Yeah. So, to give an idea of how far down that thing dropped. Yeah. This one, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be okay. I think there's hope for this.
0: Yeah, and I, I think obviously you see it all the time with expansion teams. The first game is huge, then the second game it goes down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you expect that. I think you might see that here, uh, but you also have teams that are having their first games uh, this time around. So uh, it, it will be interesting to see where that goes. But it certainly seems healthy. And I want to get back now to our last talking point and something that Alex touched upon, and that's with college players and their role in forming this new league because obviously now when you look at the rosters of these guys there are a few guys who had extended time you know a few to- a little bit of time in the nfl three maybe four years but for the most part when you look at these rosters and you look at you know you google these guys or wikipedia or however you want to search you come up with okay this guy was on a practice squad here and then he was cut then he was brought to a practice squad here and he was cut you know, he played in the CFL here, and then he got moved over, and then he played in the Arena Football League. These are guys that are, you know, very much just on the fringe. They're not bad football players. But you're also seeing a lot of guys that are just coming out of college They maybe got one look with a training camp, and now they're in the XFL. It'll be interesting to see how this is treated, because obviously with the NCAA and the NFL, it's a three-year minimum. After three years of playing college ball, then you can move into, you know, be eligible for the draft. And if you're not drafted, you become an unrestricted free agent. You gave a couple of examples, though, where these guys are already making their own decisions. How long do you think it's going to take before either the XFL makes an official decision on this, and or the NCAA steps in and says like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Or the NFL getting in there like. We're losing our best players to the <laughs> XFL for a season. What is happening? It's really an intriguing dynamic.
2: You got to think it's going to happen as soon as this season ends. If this, if the XFL turns out to be as successful as it started week one. I mean, if this turns out to be the successful product that it's that it's shown so far, uh, the NCAA is going to have to step up quick because. Again, like I, those examples I gave, in Green and um, Robinson, those are two. I, if I'm their peers, I'm like, what? What am I doing? Like, you know, yeah. if I'm if I'm an, a guy whose contract just ran up in, in Canada, why am I sitting around? I could go play and get exposure in America, um, and that's why where I brought it up earlier to talk expansion because you're going to see. I think you're going to see more players doing that, which is going to be the cause for more teams, and it's not just going to be scout team NFL guys or ex. You know. Or uh, NCAA guys that were, you know, that just didn't make the draft, and didn't make the final cuts, and it's just picking from there. Now you're going to get real talent going. Let's provide. Let's provide for the family. Yeah. Let's p- let's play uh, uh, better football, better brand football. And I think if this t- turns out, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later.
0: I, I think it, I think you will still see the guys who are projected to be first, second round picks. I think there, there's still the mystique and the you know to the X, the NFL draft and you know having your name called and you know meeting with the commissioner and doing all this thing. But for guys who are going to be picked on like say the third day, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, I think this is a great opportunity for them. I mean, and especially guys that are coming out of the MAC, the AAC, Conference USA, FCS, Division II. This is your chance. You know, obviously there are a couple of guys from the lower levels that get called, you know, brought up every year and get drafted and whatever. But it's very few and far between. Maybe this is an opportunity for guys from FCS, D2, and D3 to really have their moment in the sun. The fact of the matter is,
3: the XFL in this regard holds all the cards because it's pretty much what they want to do. It's not like the NCAA can tell a student, no, you have to stay in school. It's not like the NCAA can sit there and have a student sign a contract saying that they're going to be in school for They don't do it for the NBA. Yeah, they can't. And it's not like the NFL is just going to snap their finger and say, okay, you're allowed to come in after sophomore year. Now, if they did, that'd be a different subject. But yeah. if the XFL decides to accept these players directly after their sophomore year, there's nothing that any of these other leagues can do. They would hold all the cards. And I think that's one thing that the XFL can do to truly boost their brand, If, is if they allow that and they get these big-name college stars. Like, imagine if Trevor Lawrence, after losing the uh, – Uh, Championship this year, you know what? I'm going to the XFL. (laughs) That would be the story for months. Because he's a number
1: one. He's a number one pick next year. Absolute months. We saw we saw this in the USFL. That's why the USFL posed that Mm -hmm. big threat to the NFL. The the NFL for a long time didn't allow college. You had to be a senior to go to the NFL. X USFL was like, you know what? You could be a junior and come in. Herschel Walker goes, pays him big money. He was supposed to be an NFL first top five pick. He goes to the USFL. Flutie goes to the USFL. Jim Kelly goes to the USFL. You Reggie white. white goes to the USFL. Yeah. So, what the NFL did what adopted the, the same uh, adopted the same rule. You want to see players get paid in college football? XFL starts this allowing these guys to come as sophomores. Watch how fast the NCAA mm. change their rules and start paying players. Now they'll find the money then because yeah. they would lose a lot because you're right. Why would I go for another year? If I feel as though I'm pro-ready now, uh, especially if I'm a quarterback or if I'm a, a skilled player like a running back, maybe a receiver, maybe even a, a defensive lineman that has – or an O-lineman that has, like a clown that you brought up when we were talking off air, who was physically there as a freshman, Yeah, he can go and play with grown men uh, after a year of college strength and conditioning. So I think that right there would also help boost the, the league's – you know um uh, interest and also give them a unique uh part because you can't just rely on hey the game is good like yeah football is is a fun sport you need interest and that right there will be a huge way to to you know uh, uh plant your flag in longevity and and
3: not only yeah. interest but marketability as well because yeah. we yeah. talked earlier about how the XFL is going to try and uh base their brand or make the face of the uh the league Jar- uh, Jarvis Land not Jarvis Landry
1: um, Cardell, Jones. <laughs> Cardell Jones. <laughs> uh, Landry, Jones, Landry. Oh, no, no. Um, oh from uh, from Landry Jones. Yeah, yeah Landry Jones. Jones. There we
3: go. Name slipping my head. But like I said, imagine if that Trevor Lawrence did uh, commit to the XFL. He would instantly hmm. be the face of the
1: face of the league. And you would yeah. you know with guys like that, you at least would have them for two years. Because imagine right now if you're a DC Defenders fan, you already know 2021. You won't have Cardell Jones. You already know he's going back to the NFL, so at least with these guys that are sophomores, and if the NFL keeps its uh, three-year rule, then you're going to at least get a guy on your team for two years, which is great because now you can start to sell for next year. Like, hey, we have Trevor Lawrence coming back along with these guys, and now you can put yourself in position to have a draft. So, and people love drafts; they love you know they love know, predicting drafts. Exactly, they lo- <laughs> it's a it's big business. And so I think having that element would help them out right away.
3: Here's the thing, though. If they had a draft, if they do have the draft, they would have to start drafting at that point people straight out of high school to have their rights, sort of like an MLB draft. Sort of like what the or CFL NBA. does
1: with the, neg- with the uh, negotiation C- list. Yeah.
3: Well, it's, it's the same thing. It's interesting
0: you talk about drafts. You look at what hockey does. You can draft people at the age of 16, 17 out of juniors. You don't even have to play college hockey or even play in the minor leagues at all and still get drafted, and then the team owns your rights after they draft you for three years. So if you want to play juniors for another year, you can. If you want to play in college for a couple seasons, you can. Yet, it's a it's a really interesting situation. Scott, I want to get your thoughts on this, because the, the possibilities are endless. Because if I'm a guy who's riding the bench at an SEC school like Tennessee that's going nowhere, I want to get my name noticed. I'm not going to get drafted playing at Tennessee as a backup linebacker, but I, I'm good enough to play in the
4: SEC for a reason. I actually, in this case, I go a little bit back and forth with this. You know, I've been thinking about this listening to you guys and trying to figure out where I stand on this. Yes, on one hand, the the opportunity to go forward, uh, to be able to play, get paid, and also not risk injury in yes. college. Because if you blow out a knee, you know, in That's college, your entire professional you're done. career gone. Yeah, you're done. At least this way you can accomplish your dream, you know, and you can get out there, and you can get, in this case, national exposure to try and move yourself up to the next level, obviously the NFL. The only concern that I have, a tiny little bit, is how much is this going to water down the brand if people, if too many people start leaving early.
1: What in, brand? In, in terms well, I mean, of the, it's in terms in, in of college the quality football, you of the
4: field. Mean? I mean, if you got players that are coming out as, after sophomores, you know, I mean, well, do, for the quick paycheck.
1: Well, what, what brand would be watered down? And
4: that, brand is probably the wrong word, but is the no pl- no? I'm talking about college or XFL. No, if you leave college, you know, if too many players leave college early, mm-hmm. you know, and then end up going into the XFL. Is that going to water down the product a little bit? That's my, that's my, my I mean, you got to be good. Yeah, I know, I know. But <laughs> obviously, oh, yeah. Good. But my concern is, would you have the maturity at that point?
0: Well, you're going to find out soon enough. That's,
4: like I said, that's my, that's the only reason why I'm not like 100% sold on this, but I could absolutely be 100% wrong. You yeah. know, if you look at other sports out there, if you look at like the NBA, you know, the first name that comes to mind, LeBron, you know, I mean, his, his games were on ESPN when he was in high school. And obviously, look at the career he's had. You see certain, you know, cases like that. You mentioned hockey. You know, Jack Hughes was 18. Yeah. First draft. You know, you see people like that. My only slight concern, like I said, in this particular case, is is it going to water down the product? Now, if I am that college kid and I see the opportunity to start making a living wage, have my own, you know, my own, uh, my own place. You know, start getting that national recognition, start getting that credibility. Yeah, if you got the skills, by God, do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be the be all and end all. It can be. And I hate to say it this way, almost like minor league football.
1: That's that's train, groom, develop. Well, my thing is, like, if you're good enough, and you know, obviously, you have to be talented enough to go, and people will worry about, well, what will it water down the product? Well, that's the free market, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you like when the NBA had the uh, no age limit, yeah, if you were good enough, you were gonna get drafted. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, and you declared, you didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you can be a sophomore and declare for the XFL and get cut and not make the team, that's a decision Fair you enough. made. Fair so now you gave up your eligibility. You better know – as a player, you have to know, be honest with yourself and say, hey, just, you see it now with guys that want to go to the league and guys that decide to come back. Um, they get – they have the advisory board in the yeah. NFL to say, hey, you're you're a first-round, second-round type mm-hmm. pick. Uh, they also give the recommendation that you should go back to school and guys still either take that information and, and – and heed by it, or they ignore it. Um, and if you are ignoring the fact that you, hey, as a sophomore year, you're trekking mm-hmm. toward being a, a draftable player, maybe a mid round pick, you could probably leave and go to the XFL. If you're not, you better stay. And until you get a, a favorable grade, the difference is, and this is where it can get tricky in college football because the coaches will know the junior grades, but they won't particularly tell the players. Right. And so how many coaches – we see coaches now already withhold all-star game invites until the season is over with because they don't want a guy to, like – To quit on the bowl game. Or or start, you know, you know uh, cadillac uh toward <laughs> yeah. the uh, back end of the season. Like, I'm going to take a couple plays off here. I'm gonna just like, I'm not going to go to this meeting or that meeting. So who's to say a coach won't withhold mm. your draft grade? Uh, you know, so there's a lot of selfish factors in play. But, man, if they really want to – uh, make some noise, that would be the way to go. I think what one thing that
0: I'm, I'm seeing here in the distance is that you might actually see fewer busts in the NFL draft now if players decide... No, there'll still be busts. Well, there will be busts, <laughs> but how many guys have we seen that play one year of college ball? I'm thinking of a certain quarterback that played for the green and white of the New York Jets, played one year as a starter, comes out to all this aplomb, and then turns into after one or two years a total bust. Those, guys, those kids who think they're good enough that aren't, they get the two-year rule. Oh, I'm going to go to the XFL to prove that I am a superstar that I know I am. Mm. Meanwhile, they go to the XFL, as Scott was trying to say, the point out, trying to make, I th- he was trying to make, I think. They go to the XFL and get absolutely trashed at the XFL level because they're not good enough, but they think they are. All of a sudden, you're an NFL GM. Whew, I was thinking about taking him in the first round next year. Mm. I don't have to do with that anymore. He's in the XFL. If I want to buy him, I can. Right now, he's not good enough for me to waste.
2: Yeah, I think I think regardless, that risk is going to be ran anyway. So if you're like yeah. a guy who goes in the 5th, 6th, 7th round or undrafted. you and, got nothing to risk. Yeah, I mean, but if you're in that, to play the devil's advocate on that, is that why take the risk if and not have that one year of pay or right. two years of pay? At least let me go get paid and struggle on that level rather than have a non-guaranteed contract, non-guaranteed invite, and not even possibly make the team. Now at least I could do it. Now if I if I stink it up in preseason in the NFL and I had to wait that time, not get paid, go stink it up, I don't make the team, why would the XFL want me? If there's going to be people there like Kenny Robinson who's already established all Big 12 safety that wants to play, why, why me now? You know, I already true. I already made that mistake, so I could see I could see it going both ways. And like Em, you're saying it's the free market. I mean, you got you better know. Like, I mean, I, this doesn't this doesn't just open the door to anyone who made a college football team that you could make it. I mean, you still got to perform at that college level. The, Kenny Robinson, as the example, since so he's our only example. Wasn't all Big Twelve. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. he already did it. I mean, I, at this point for him, unless winning, um, I can't think of the award for best defensive second uh, safety. Um, Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe award. If unless um, other than winning that award and getting to that level or a Heisman talk even, which probably not gonna happen. This he's pretty much reached his peak.
1: Or even think about it in terms of, we, we're talking about draft and all that stuff like that. You have Joe Burrow, uh, you have Jalen Hurts, you have uh, Herbert. Not not Herbert. You have Justin Fields. Fields. Um, yeah. You know these are all guys who are transfers. So imagine they transfer out of college, go right to the pros. Bingo. So now interesting. you so instead interesting. Of, instead of, you know, having Burrow who sat at Ohio State for 3 years, you know, trying to get that one year in place like or even a guy like Kelly Bryant, instead of losing my job to uh, Trevor Lawrence and then going to Missouri, I'll transfer out and just go to the XFL. It's going
0: to be a lot of interesting factors to look at here as this goes along cuz I don't think we're done in terms of college players saying, "You know what?" This is looking good to me. I think I'm going to make a little bit of money. Let's get into Week 2. We're going to go around the room. One thing you're looking for from each of these Week 2 matchups. We're going to start uh, on Saturday, 2 o'clock on ABC. The D.C. defenders looking to go 2-0, and as are the New York Guardians. D.C. is the home team. Emory, what are you looking for in this contest?
1: Better offensive play from the New York Guardians. They're up against a very good defense here. I want to see how the passing game with leader Matt McGloughan operates this week. Scott, what are your thoughts?
4: Same thing. I mean, right now, they had a good start, but the question is can they continue it? I mean, the Vipers team did not come out ready. They weren't you know, prepared for that. Um, what's going to happen? Can they make it 2-0? Troy? The Guardians' defense. Uh, like you said, the Vipers team wasn't clicking
3: at all, but they still put up monster yards against them. The Guardians played a bend, but don't break defense, and this defender's offense led by Cardale Jones looks way more explosive than what they saw in week one.
2: Well, since you guys covered it all, I'm going to go with <laughs> ABC upping up their broadcast. Uh, so, no, I, I actually, I, I'm going to look at Cardell Jones here, and I'm going to see if, uh, I mean, you're going against a Guardians defense that just now was Aaron Murray and a struggling Viper's offense, but they just de- held them to three points. Um, they were able to bear down. Cardell Jones is going to be going against a little bit better of a defense. Let's see how he, uh, how he succeeds.
0: Well, Alex, if you're going to complain about this, we'll start with you for the next game. Let's go to the second game here, Saturday, 5 o'clock on Fox. The Tampa Bay Vipers, again, with that struggling offense, taking on a Seattle team kind of shot themselves in the foot week one what are we watching for here two offenses looking to start to click
2: well the fox broadcast i want to see if they can continue their <laughs> consistent <laughs> no, i uh, i'm excited to see um sj green's uh debut and see how how involved he is he's going to be joining a receiving staff with austin proel who had a great week one keenan Re- reynolds who can be a dual threat uh, could be a, any threat uh, ex-quarterback at navy so it's three guys uh on the outside to help out brandon silvers who's got his first game under his belt played pretty well the and uh, that first half and the second half of that game you know just two mistakes in that game so very excited to see them and um and see what they do with the new weapon troy
3: um for me it's going to be this viper's offense uh week one we saw them like we said like i said gain monster yards against the guardians but they couldn't find the end zone first half murray was really struggling second half flowers came in ran the ball a lot only got the pass twice i want to see them get flowers more involved earlier in the game maybe it can make the difference Scott,
4: this is a must-win for uh, for Tampa. I know it's only week two in a ten-week season, but at this point, if they go zero and two, their season's pretty much done.
1: I'm looking at Seattle and seeing how they could, you know, get out their own way as far as like the turnovers. So I thought they had an opportunity against DC; a passing game was there, but turnovers really killed them. We'll see if they can play a clean game and and can Tampa Bay get it right quarterback-wise. Otherwise, it'll be a lot of empty seats at Raymond James when they get down there for. Uh, they're open or if they're playing at Raymond James or wherever they're playing. I know the fans (laughs) won't be there if a certain bad quarterback is still on center. Let's move into the third game of the weekend. Go to Sunday, 3 o'clock kickoff
0: on ABC. Dallas running taking on the LA Wildcats. Dallas underperformed in Week 1. LA's already got a new coach that they have to adjust to. I mean, is that what you got to be watching the LA defense at this point?
1: You have to because you make a coaching change after Week 1. You want to see if that was the reason why. So we'll see if that was the case. But definitely looking forward to la's defense and how they come out
4: scott dallas has got to get the ball in the end zone you know they settled for three field goals the other day that can't happen a second time if you're going to be successful in this league obviously in a very shortened season you cannot basically be able to succeed without getting the ball in the end zone
3: yeah, both of these teams caught a L last weekend. I'm looking for Dallas's offense to really kick it up, develop more of a running game in this one, and to see if that off if the pressure that they got this past weekend is because St. Louis's D line is so good, or is it the woes of the offensive line?
2: Yeah, for me it's gonna be the LA Wildcats and what they do at the quarterback position. Uh Charles Kenoff, like we mentioned earlier, settled in and played pretty well for that team. Um, With Josh Johnson expected to be back next week, what are they going to do here? Um, So it's going to be very interesting uh, on that vote.
0: Let's move to the last game here. And, again, Alex, we'll start with you on this one. FS1 at 6 o'clock. Houston pretty much goes with a high-flying offense. St. Louis running the ball in Week 1. We'll see if that formula transfers over to different teams. But very much a styles make fights here, very two different offensive personalities
2: yeah i mean you're gonna see two some of the most uh, exciting uh quarterback play though uh between Tammo and um and walker pretty much can they uh can they continue how they started this season can they be as effective as they were um was that just an anomaly or and they catch a team that wasn't ready or are they the real deal
3: yeah, I sort of second that one with, uh, with my last point. The battle hawks, all the pressure that they, that they put on the renegades, and we saw how mobile P.J. Walker can be and how, how precise his arm can be. So the matchup between the D-line and P.J. Walker is what I'm looking for.
4: I see two things with St. Louis here. One, shore up the amount of penalties that they had. Last week there was nine penalties for 78 yards. And also they need to repeat the, uh, the same success they had on third down. They had 50% success on that six for 12 and third down. Continue that this week.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at strength versus strength here. You have offensive Houston, defensive Seattle. It should be a great game. It's going to be awesome, and it will be great to see how the fans react after what was
0: an extremely successful week one in the XFL, the second uh, iteration of the XFL here upon us, and we'll see what happens. And if you want to check out any of the podcasts from Football Game Plan, including our scout team show, you can go to uh soundcloud or itunes and search football game plan in the podcast section we also have the xfl game day show that will be coming to the game plus network uh coming up in the next couple oh, already started started last week so check that out if you are in the new york metropolitan area emory anything
1: else you want to uh you want to plug here friday 6 30 p.m eastern time dave on go. the game plus network <laughs> uh but you also look at the fact that we have the xfl podcast that we're doing scout team podcast that we have uh, but also the Scout Team Show, which is Thursday, six thirty p.m. Eastern Time, on the Game Plus Network. So we'll keep
0: an eye on. Also that for check sure. out
1: the Go Go Offense book. Still going with the Go Go Offense book. <laughs> <laughs> www.footballgameplan.com/go-go-offense. Who knows? We might see. Shut it in up, the Dave. XFL. Shut up, Dave. We might <laughs> see it in the XFL. Hey, oh, okay. do, you, do you not want to see it in the XFL? <laughs> okay, Fine, okay, I okay. won't see <laughs> it in the XFL.
0: You already have your. T- I thought you was going somewhere else. Waiting. You already I have the was, double uh, forward pass. Fine, whatever. <laughs> Jeez, I, I thought listen. you
1: were going so else with it uh yeah, but I'm glad you went there with it so yeah yeah I would like to see it in the XFL we're already
0: seeing it in the NFL we might as well see it in the XFL there you go awesome. I,
1: keep in mind adapt I, or die I know where the oh that's another coaching book from uh I forgot dub Maddox I think wrote writes the adapt or die uh coaching books you're welcome um so but <laughs> I do think um I, people forget man I know the books are going. So I'm not surprised where I see the Google offense pop up on on NFL Sundays. I know where we sell books to, so I'm not surprised to see them uh, pop up in Arizona on uh, If you see on one broadcast. if you see one
0: going to Tampa Bay and going to a Mr. Trustman, I think we might know what's going on for next week. <laughs> Folks, that'll do it here for the podcast. Again, this is David Hassinger with the Czar of the Playbook, Emery Hunt, Scott Church, and Troy Anthony and Alex Marinoni signing off and we'll see you for our week 3 preview.